Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Watermark Equipping Podcast, a monthly conversation about faith-seeking understanding from Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm your host, Caitlin Van Wagner, and this is my co-host, Dr. Oren Martin, the Senior Director of Equipping here at Watermark. Hey, Oren. Hey, how are you? Well, we're so excited to be here, and we're excited to welcome Timothy Atik, one of our teaching pastors that? here at Watermark. <laughs> welcome. Uh, we're excited about today. So, Oren, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're going to be covering today with TA as our guest? Yeah, so today I'm excited we get to talk about God the Holy Spirit, which okay. is a fun topic. Can be a little confusing, maybe. Who is the Holy Spirit? Why do you think it's so confusing? Uh, maybe a couple of reasons. Is it a it? Is it a who? Is it oh, the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there's some mystery behind who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of reasons why the Holy Spirit may be mysterious. There's confusion in our age, uh, too much inf- emphasis, too little emphasis, okay. all kinds of reasons. We got a lot to cover. A lot to cover. Okay, should we get going? Let's go. Let's go. All right. So I want to start with first question: Who? And I'm using I'm using who yeah. is the Holy Spirit? Yes. So uh, I I right out of the gate used a pronoun. Is that right? That is exactly right. Okay, because you're being biblical and using a pronoun. I knew it. Yeah. I knew That's it. That's great. No, what I what I usually say is the Holy Spirit is a distinct divine person of the Trinity. So when we think about Trinity, we think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there's only one God, and the Spirit is a person in the Godhead. So it's very important to, to get our, our language right and who the Holy Spirit is. Okay, you said it's a person in the Godhead. Yeah. Is it a human person? No, it's not a human person. So what do you mean by person? Yeah, so I would say this could be, this is 2,000 years of debate, but a person is a subject who acts in accordance with its capacity. So a human person can act, mm-hmm. can think, can feel, can make decisions in accordance with what a human person is, right? We're, we're limited, we're finite, we can only okay. be in one place at one time, all those kinds of things. When you think about the Holy Spirit as a person, the Holy Spirit can act, can think, can will things in accordance with who He is. And He's God. As an entity. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So as the person of the Holy Spirit, He can do things that God can do because He is fully, equally God. Fully, equally God. So I think we're going to get to that in a little bit. Yeah. So what I heard you say is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Yes. It requires who is the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and it is a distinct divine person of the Trinity. That's yeah. the simplest definition of what the Holy Spirit is. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So, T.A., what does that the Holy great, Spirit— by the way. <laughs> I've already learned it. so much already. <laughs> Thank you for having me on this. I'm super grateful to be here. <laughs> okay. What does the Holy Spirit— do? What is the purpose and role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? That, that There are a lot of things that the Spirit does. Um, I think in terms of the ones that are so, so important for us to get our minds around what the Spirit is doing in our lives, I think you have to start with the fact that the Spirit of God convicts in the life of an unbeliever. So if I think about a progression mm-hmm. from unbelief to belief to walking closely with the Lord— the Spirit first convicts. So, uh, John 16, 8, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That idea of convicting, it just means that the Spirit of God uh, brings a person to the point of recognizing their wrongdoing. In the salvation narrative and process. Yeah, okay. so I think what that means is an unbeliever sees that uh, what they are doing is not congruent with a perfect and righteous God, Mm -hmm. okay? And then, uh, so the Spirit of God convicts, and then I would say the Spirit of God illuminates, like illuminates our hearts and minds to the truth. So 
I draw a distinction between the the inspiration of the Spirit and the illumination of the Spirit. When I talk Uh about the inspiration of the Spirit, I'm talking about what the Spirit did through the biblical authors. So, he inspired them. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, that he inspired these authors. And now, the Spirit of God illuminates our hearts and minds to the truth so that we can take what the Spirit of God gave us through human authors, Mm -hmm. and we're able to make sense of it. We're able to understand it as actually truth from God. Okay. Okay? And then the next thing I'd say the Spirit does is the Spirit of God regenerates. So, when we talk about regeneration, we're talking about the idea of being born again. So, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter Mm 3, and he talks about the idea of being born again. It's the idea that the Spirit of God brings us from death to life. Okay, Okay. so if you think about this progression, someone understands that their, their life is not congruent with a righteous God. They begin to understand truth. The Spirit of God, and this can all be happening. We, it's, you don't want to compartmentalize everything. And Orin, if you need to correct me, correct me. But it, it's it's mysterious. But the Spirit of God is awakening us to life, so that we mm-hmm. can see Jesus for who He truly, truly is. Okay. So this might be a little bit of a, a a question that I don't know that I've even thought to ask until this moment. But you, if you said that the Spirit of God convicts, illuminates, and regenerates, that would mean that the Holy Spirit is at work in both the life of the non-believer and the believer. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's so important to to recognize, and this is going to feel like a hot take for some people watching, but it, it has to be wait. said that salvation is a miracle. Mm-hmm. It, it is a miracle. You know, Jesus says in John 6 that no one come, can come unless they are drawn to the Father. And that is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit goes to work on an individual. So, this idea of like, we go out searching for God, we find God, we choose God, it it, it puts all of the emphasis on our work when in actuality, salvation is such a work of the, the Spirit of God in our lives, helping us see that our sin is in fact sin, mm-hmm. seeing the truth that it is in fact truth. Um, you know, being awakened spiritually to actually comprehend truth. It, it's all a work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, when someone crosses from death to life, by the power of the Spirit, through faith, then what the Spirit of God does is the Spirit of God sanctifies the believer. Okay, so that's the next thing, right? Convicts, yeah. eliminates, regenerates, and now you're sanctified. Yeah, so okay. when I when I think about <clears throat> sanctification, what I'm thinking about is if illumination is understanding truth, mm-hmm. then sanctification is applying the truth. It is, it's, having an awareness when you read the Word of God that you don't just understand it, but you now have a clear understanding of how you need to take it and live it out and apply it to your life. That's what because I think sanctification can kind of be one of those hairy words. How yeah. else would you describe what sanctification is and therefore the process of the Holy Spirit? 
in sanctifying. Yeah, so I think about uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what that's saying, it's to boil it down, it is saying that we are on a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like the goal is that we would look less and less like the world mm -hmm. and more and more like Jesus, that we are being transformed and conformed at the exact same time, that we are changing. And as we are changing, we are becoming more like Jesus. And that happens by the Spirit of God doing a work in our lives where he takes the Word of God and helps us understand how to actually live it out. Okay. Awesome. Anything you'd add to that, Orrin? No, or would you be like, let's scrap that because everything you said is wrong <laughs> and let's pivot? No, that was that was excellent. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, transforms from one degree of glory to another. You see in Romans 8 that he that, that by the Spirit we're conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's actually amazing. I mean, as you said, the Spirit is acting on us, right? God, the Holy Spirit, is acting on us. And he is in us yeah. giving us new desires so that mm -hmm. we can not just understand God's word, but live God's word. So he's bringing transformation uh, to our lives so that we're more and more like Jesus. How, how do we get the Holy Spirit then? That's a great question. We get the Holy Spirit by believing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's really the simple answer. At the answer. moment of salvation? Yes. Is that when it happens? Yeah, at the okay. moment of salvation. So we, we believe. And, you know, so you think about Ephesians 1 where it says, after having believed uh, uh, in, in Jesus as, as the, the Savior— then we, we receive the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment, the seal, the guarantee of our salvation to come. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like T.A. said, I think it's so helpful, is, is the Spirit is working in us as we're hearing the Word, either preached or reading Scripture, mm -hmm. and you see testimonies throughout church history. The Spirit's working in us, and, and He brings us to a place where we re respond to the gospel. And, and we can't do that in and of ourselves. I mean, as T said, T.A. said, we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people can only do dead things. The flesh is of the flesh, as John 3 says. But the Spirit produces things that are mm -hmm. of the Spirit, who is life. Mm -hmm. Which is why the church has confessed the Spirit, I mean, since you know the Nicene Creed in the 4th century, that He is the Lord and giver of life. Mm -hmm. Because we need that. We are dead in our sins. And we need the life of, of God in us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Okay. So the Holy Spirit convicts, illuminates, regenerates, sanctifies, it indwells us at the moment of salvation. What else does the Holy Spirit do? What else would you add? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, there other language that, that he seals us. He's the down payment of our inheritance to come, which I think is the new creation. What does that mean? The down payment of the inheritance to come. Yeah, so there's, you know, the, this, the language that Scripture uses, you know, it's, it's like a— um, like a down payment or a, you think about an engagement ring, right? An engagement ring mm -hmm. that you give to your spouse is, is a down payment of, of something better to come, a real okay. ring, right? So guys, if you're listening to the show, um, don't, don't just be satisfied with the engagement ring, right? M make sure there's something added to it that makes yeah. it even better. Uh -huh. And so the Spirit is our down payment, our guarantee, right? God's guarantee, right? He's so committed to our salvation, that he gives us the down payment, the guarantee, which mm -hmm. is which is himself in the person of a spirit, and he's the guarantee of our inheritance to come, which is a, a whole new world, mm -hmm. new heavens and new earth, which is what you know places like Revelation twenty one and twenty two describe. So and that's you, that's an amazing promise. Yeah, if you think about Revelation twenty one, what you see is the the dwelling place of God is with is with man. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the 
the thing that makes heaven heaven is, e- is eternal life in the presence of God. And yet, right now, the Spirit of God indwells us. He lives inside of us. And there is, there's actually that temple imagery. We are mm-hmm. temples of the Holy Spirit. Revelation 21, the dwelling place or God will tabernacle with his people for all of eternity. So the way that I like to explain it is that the Holy Spirit allows us to, in some ways, taste heaven now mm-hmm. by experiencing life with God. Mm-hmm. That God is—it's not that one day we will live with God. God lives with us right now, and a day is coming where that will reach a much greater fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So that's what guarantee of an inheritance yet to come. Yes. That's phrase. Comes yep. I've never fully understood that phrase. Yeah, it's an amazing promise. It is an amazing promise. Yeah. I love the engagement ring analogy. Do you think that— do you think we're clear on the indwelling of the spirit that that say say a couple more sentences on it? But just I just want to make sure that people people get it. And the reason that it's so important to get it is especially when you are struggling with sin, our tendency is to think that we are the ones that are fighting sin yeah. and God's kind of watching. It's like, man, I've given you my word and I hope you make the right choices and I hope you try really hard and you you do it. But if you think about, you know, Romans 8, 9, it says, you, who, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. He lives in you. And Ephesians 1 talks about the same power that raised Christ uh, from the dead. And, and, uh, Romans 8.11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So, let me put it together. If Ephesians 1 says, Paul is saying that he wants us to know uh, the immeasurably great power that is for us. And Mm -hmm. it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Well, what is that power? It's the Holy Spirit. So, it's just good to realize that the same power that raised Christ from the dead actually lives inside of you. So, that's why I even— And helps I sh- us fight sin. I just want to make sure that we're clear that it's actually God lives in us. Yeah. Like, takes mm-hmm. up residence. Yeah, it makes me think of John you know, 14 through 16, and kind of, kind of you know, piggybacking on that point. You know, when Jesus says, look, I'm going to go away. And he's talking about what's about to come, right? He lives his life. He's like, tells his disciples over and over and over, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And he's going to go ascend to be with his father, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to be glorified uh, as the exalted son, as he sits on his throne reigning from heaven. And and he could have done that, and that would have been great. We could have been forgiven of our sins. We could have been given eternal life. There's our our insurance, right? But he doesn't stop there. He says, but if I go away, I'm going to send you another helper. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you my spirit, who is from the Father, I'm going to send to you, and he will be in you, right? In the Old Testament, the Spirit was with the people. Mm-hmm. The Spirit was in the temple. But in but here in John 14 through 16, Jesus says the Spirit's going to be in you people, you disciples of Jesus. And so what a, what an amazing promise. I'm glad it's that you— It's kind of wild. It's kind of wild. That well, God and that's like, why gonna... Jesus says it's actually better that I go away, yeah. you know? So when we think about it, uh-huh. if you think about it in terms of fighting sin, it's like, is it better that Jesus went away? Yes, because he sent his spirit. Yeah. So, and his spirit lives in every single one of us. Mm-hmm. And so I just, sometimes I think we fall short of understanding That's why right. was it better that Jesus went away? And it's 
has a lot to do with the Holy Spirit because mm-hmm. he sends his his the helper, the comforter, the counselor. Which really that. blows up the whole conception that, you know, Jesus died to forgive you of your sins, now go do a bunch of stuff. Exactly. He's like, no, I will come and live in you. To help you. Yeah. By my spirit, I will empower you. I will indwell mm-hmm. you. I will be with you until the end of the age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing gift. Yeah. It really is. Okay. So I know the Holy Spirit does a lot. Um, so I'm hearing things like um, it convicts, illuminates, regenerates, sanctifies. It is a guarantee. It indwells. Um, my next question is around gifts. Yep. So what does it mean to have a gift from the Holy Spirit um, or an RTA, whichever one of you? What, is that, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so you can look at passages like 1 Corinthians 12. And, you know, if for, our, for our listeners, you know, if you were here at Watermark back last summer, um, preached through 1 Corinthians. I think, T.A., you had a, a chapter—you uh, did your sermon on 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But basically, it is that the Holy Spirit gifts his people. So every Christian has at least one gift to serve the body. And, you know, as Ephesians 4 says, we're going to a lot of Scripture, uh, pastors, teachers equip the body, mm-hmm. the members, to do the work of ministry. And, and the way that we do the work of ministry is by using the Spirit-given gifts uh, to, to speak to each other, to, to uh, encourage each other, to admonish each other, to serve the church and its ministries for the advancement of the gospel. So the Spirit gives gifts to His people. And so every Christian has at least one gift. What are some examples of the gifts in yeah. Romans 12? So you can look about 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, kind of the main text, but it'll talk about uh, administration, helps, mm-hmm. service, teaching, uh, what are some other gifts Exhortation, you would say? Exhortation, yeah. uh, shepherding. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds, right? And, and most scholars would say these aren't. And this isn't an exhaustive list. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a, a, a categories or, or representations of of how the Spirit works in us, right? So it's not self produced. It's not natural. It's supernatural because the Spirit actually indwells us and gifts us to use uh, uh, our gifts to to build up the church in mm-hmm. Christ to maturity. So every believer has at least one gift, yes. and they don't ha- all have to be the same. Yeah, and yeah. and all gifts are, before the foot of the cross are equal, right? Mm-hmm. So you know we may think, well, man, I wish I had the gift of teaching because then I'd be in front of people, and you know. But but Paul says in First Corinthians twelve, no, it's it's like your body, right? You need every part, yeah. right? The the finger, the ear is just as important as the head, mm-hmm. you know, as an arm, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 not not only that, but he actually says, give honor. To those who who maybe work behind the scenes, so I think of, you know, my, my wife. I, you know, I always joked about with people. I can I can teach people for thirty minutes how to how to stack chairs. While I'm doing that, Cindy will be actually stacking chairs. Like she's <laughs> just such a servant. It, it's way, the way the Lord's gifted her, and it's it's amazing to to see how the body of Christ and Watermark does. I've been so encouraged by that in our ten months here. This this is a church that serves. Mm-hmm. You drive up on a Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and the parking lot is full of people, lay volunteers, just church members, doing the work of ministry so that people can come to know Christ and grow in Christ. How do I figure out what my spiritual gifts are? If I'm, like, new to this concept, how would I go about figuring out what mine are so that I can serve? What would you Yeah, you can actually—we've got it on our website, watermark.org slash spiritual gifts. I think we'll get you there. So, (laughs) And if you go to our website, you can can actually go to the search bar and just type in spiritual gifts, and there's actually— messages that will come up that will just give a greater Context. clarity. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. 
Yeah, and I would say, look, just as T.A. said, that the Spirit dwells in us, and and one of one of his his jobs is to create new desires in us, so that we we want things, we want the things of God, not mm-hmm. the things that we 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 want to love others. And so I would just say, what do you want to do? When somebody says, how do how, what spiritual gift do I have? Well, what do you want to do? And because part of the role of the Spirit is to to create to give you a new wanter, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and as you want to serve others. Uh, jump in and just figure it out, right? And the the Lord will will guide you and lead you, and through the counsel of others, through just seeing how the Lord works, it's pretty easy to figure out. But okay, but everyone's got at least one spiritual yes. gift, yep. and they're all equal at the foot of the cross. Yep. Um, all right. So we talked a little bit about the phrase, um, the Holy Spirit being a guarantee of a future inheritance. But there's another phrase that I've heard a lot, and I'm hoping you can bring some light to it: the concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, so I I think it's good for us to read in Ephesians 5. Paul says, uh, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of use, use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, the, the picture here is you're, you're on a journey, you are walking through life, and you're either going to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord or not. And, and the best way to make the most of your life now, which is to live a life that is glorifying to God, the way to do that is to be filled with the Spirit. And the thing that I really appreciate is that Paul gives us imagery to help us understand what that even means to mm-hmm. be filled by the Spirit, because he says, he says, don't get drunk with wine. Um, so that's the picture. If you think about being inebriated, what happens is that the in when you're intoxicated, that alcohol controls you. Mm-hmm. It changes the way that you think, changes the way that you see things, it changes the way that you talk, can change the way that you walk and the way that you act. That is the picture of being filled by the Spirit. It is that is it is that relinquishing of control. It is the Holy Spirit taking control of your life in a way that it changes the way that you think and the way that you see and the way that you talk and the way that you act. And so um, that's what it means to be filled by the Spirit is I would say that it is a relinquishing of control and mm-hmm. it is a surrendering of control where the Holy Spirit has complete control of your your life. If you think about a house, is the difference between owning a house and renting a house. Mm-hmm. If I rent, that is not my house to do with what I want. Like whatever the whatever the color of the walls is, that's probably the color of the walls. I don't go in and move walls around because it's not mine. But what we're saying is, Holy Spirit, like this is your house. You you live inside of me. You can you can own every room. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's off limits. You want to change the However you want to decorate, uh, the Spirit loves to decorate in holiness. So you you can have your way in me. So it's less of something that you go out and get. Like you don't go to a gas station to get filled yeah. up. It is a, this is something that happens better on your knees. Because the verb being filled with the Holy Spirit, I think it could lead you to naturally believe you could be more filled or if I'm a believer, more filled or less filled with the Holy Spirit. What would you say to that? Yeah, and and Oren, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think that there 
I wouldn't think of it in terms of more or less of the spirit. Mm-hmm. I would view it as more or less of the 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 spirit's active control. You're yielding to the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So when when the spirit lives inside of you, the spirit isn't like, well, I'll give you my hand now and my leg later. <laughs> you know, like it's you get all the spirit, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, that's why Paul tells us to to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Mm-hmm. He's just saying that there is an option here where you will continue to live in a way that is very incongruent with God's way. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you how do you live a life that is more congruent? It's he says, walk by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So that is in terms of being filled. It is that relinquishing. Okay. Um, yeah. So. What would you add yeah, to that, Orrin? Yeah, it made me think of, you know, so we see in Scripture of, of uh, when, you know, John the Baptist, when he's speaking in, in you know, each of, the, each of the four Gospels, you know, he says in, you know, Matthew 3, uh, Mark 1, Luke 3, and John 1, John the Baptist says, look, I baptize you with water, but when he comes, Jesus, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And we see that come to come to kind of play out in Acts 1, mm-hmm. where we see the language of that same language. Uh, and so kind of what it comes to mean is, is when, a, when a person believes in Jesus, he or she is, is immersed in the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So to T.A.'s point, it's not like, okay, now I've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, but tomorrow I may have 50% of the Holy Spirit, but if I really work hard, then I'll have 70% the next day. No, we have all of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's who, uh, when we're immersed in Him by, by faith, right, in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. But then Paul gives the command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love, there's a great book by J.I. Packer called Keep in Step with the Spirit. And he says, like to T.A.'s point, I think the the metaphor is so important because when we're under the influence of of wine, it leads to, to lack, lack of control, mm-hmm. right? But, but Packer does say be, being filled with the Spirit is being under the influence of the Spirit. But look what it results in. It results in verse 9, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts, giving thanks, uh, and submitting to one another. So opposite from being out of control, it actually results in speaking God's word, singing God's word to one another, giving thanks, and submitting to each other in appropriate relationships and mm-hmm. within the body of Christ. Yeah. And that's that's such a, you know, so it's not some kind of ecstatic uh, experience. It's it's very concrete, uh, and it's and it's so tied to God's word. You know, a similar kind of phrase in Colossians three is is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mm-hmm. And so those two 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 uh, commands taken, kind of mutually interpreting, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God's word, and to be filled with God's word is to be filled with Spirit because we want to follow where God says, mm-hmm. and we do that by the Spirit. Okay, so to be filled with the Holy Spirit essentially means to yield yourself. To the influence of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and just think about the the end result. We know the fruit of the Spirit is what: love, joy, peace, mm-hmm. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. That's the that's the end result. That is that is a life when those all those things are evident in your life. That is the evidence of a life that is filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So when those things are not evident in your life. It shows that you're still operating in the flesh. So what is what's the action step? Is it that I'm gonna go out and be more, I'm gonna go be more patient? No, it's usually a it's an in the moment, like, 
Yield. It's a it's a yielding. Yeah. Like I want to be impatient, and yet I sense that the spirit of God is working in me, giving me what I need. So I have a, a question that just came to mind. So TA, tell us, you know, are there are there times throughout your day or week where where you pray things like, God, fill me with your spirit? Yeah. When you're about to teach or whenever it yeah. is. Absolutely. I mean, any time before I teach, uh, I am asking that the the Spirit of God would fill me mm-hmm. and speak through me. Mm-hmm. And even, I think a good question, a mentor gave this to me, but when you're walking into a meeting, what a great question to ask of, God, what attitude do you want me to have as I walk into this mm-hmm. meeting to meet with someone? What that is, is that is a question that results in surrender to the, the Spirit, so that the Spirit will bear the fruit of peace or joy or mm-hmm. kindness, gentleness in that awesome. meeting. But yeah, that is, I need to pray it more, but especially, you know, when I'm stepping up to teach, that is, that's front of mind. Mm-hmm. That's such a good For prayer. Sure. I mean, you think about, you know, maybe you go home and you have kids and you know, you've had a long day. I mean, I just, I, I pray regularly when I'm off driving home, God, fill me with your spirit to respond to my wife and yeah. kids mm-hmm. in ways that are honoring to you, that reflect the very character of Christ, That's right? True. Or, you're, you know, you're meeting with a roommate or a co- co-worker. That, those are great prayers. To pray. Fill me with your spirit. An so, act of daily surrender. Yes. Use your words. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Okay, so inside the church, I feel uh, the Holy Spirit can be a little bit of a divisive topic. Uh, it can be. Why do you think it can feel like a divisive topic, specifically within like cr- the Christian evangelical context, which is our context. Why do you feel like it can be a little bit more of a divisive topic? Do you want to take this one, T.A.? Well, I think that it's divisive because it the, the Spirit is mysterious. Mm-hmm. You know, we can understand the Father. We can get our minds around the Son. And yet the Spirit is, is the one with the most mystery around it. And so what you have is you have churches living on two ends of the spectrum where you've got churches that feel more comfortable being kind of Father, Son, Holy Bible. It's like, you know what? The, the Spirit, it let's not go, let's not get too crazy. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people on the other end of the, the spectrum that's like, it's just all the Spirit. Let's pray only to the Spirit. When we get together, let's just seek the Spirit and displays of the Spirit to the neglect of the Father and in the Son. Mm-hmm. And so I think you've got people on on ends of the spectrum. And, and and I think that debate in large part revolves around some of the the supernatural gifts yes, of yeah. the Spirit. But it it really comes down to like what is the Spirit's like what is his primary work mm-hmm. right now? And uh, and I think that that's where churches have to go back and forth. I think that the safest place to be is when you have the Word of God in one hand and you are you are expectant for the Spirit of God to move because mm-hmm. the Spirit of God is He is the Holy Spirit. He is supernatural. God is living in us. We should expect supernatural things to happen in our lives. Mm-hmm. Whether we see someone put their trust in Christ, like conversion, that is supernatural work. We should expect to see that. And at the same time, like we, we, you know, even right now, it's hard to talk about it because I'm sitting here in my mind, I'm like, ah, 
feel like I need to caveat in all this. And, and I would just say that the best thing you can do is you can take the word of God, ask the spirit of God to move in you. When you show up to church, beg the spirit of God. I, I pray most Sundays, I pray that this Sunday would be an unmistakable display of the power of the spirit. Mm-hmm. We should want that. We should want to see the spirit show up and work in a supernatural way. And yet at the same time, people disagree on what that would even look like. Yes. And that causes a lot of questions yeah. and yeah. controversy. Yep. And that's why I think there's been, you know, kind of what T.A. said, an, an overemphasis, uh, and, you know, and maybe some people would say the excesses of kind mm-hmm. of, you know, uncontrollable experiences or just, you know, weird, weird things that we would see maybe strange to us. Uh, and because of this kind of the, the pendulum swings to the other way, okay, we're not going to talk about them at all. Like T.A. said, the mm-hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Uh, and I think I think both you know ditches uh, are are uh, errors we ought to avoid. You know, and I, w- one thing I love about I mentioned J.I. Packer again. He calls the Spirit's ministry a spotlight ministry, and he gets it from John fourteen through sixteen. Yeah, so Jesus says when he comes, he he'll come to bear witness about me, mm-hmm. and so that's why he says that the Spirit's work is to shine His light on Christ. Mm-hmm. So you know, I always think if you want to see a Spirit-filled church. You'll see a church that exalts Jesus as the Son, the Word who became flesh and lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, mm-hmm. was raised from the dead, and He gives us the spoils of His resurrection victory, the person of it, the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who comes to dwell in us and gift us and guide us and illuminate our eyes to understand Scripture. And so a church that that is filled with the Spirit is a church that that focuses, worships, exalts, preaches Christ. And, and so, you know, it kind of removes a little bit of the, the mystery of, of who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So teaching can be—this topic can be more divisive, I heard, because it's by very nature mysterious. It's a mystery. And there tends to be an overemphasis or an underemphasis on the Spirit. Um, all right. I want to end with a couple of quick, quick questions about the Holy Spirit. Might feel a little random, but they're questions I think people might be asking, even if some of them are a little bit more off the wall. Um— does the Holy Spirit have a gender? I would say no, because the Spirit is spirit. So by definition, He is God. He's invisible. He's spirit. He doesn't have a body. Mm-hmm. Uh, e- even though, you know, Scripture does use masculine pronouns, but that's not to say He has a gender, because that belongs to human persons. Got it. Okay. Next question. Where does the Holy Spirit first appear in Scripture? I would say Genesis 1-2, when the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Which is, which is so great because the Spirit was acting in the first creation. And it's interesting that when you get to Luke 1, what was the Spirit doing? He was overshadowing Mary in, in conceiving Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. In creating the flesh of the very Son of God who took on flesh. So I think that's a really, really big indicator that just as the Spirit was acting in the first creation, so the Spirit is acting to bring about a new creation that begins with Jesus. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask you what is your favorite place in the Bible the Holy Spirit appears, or even in the Old Testament. Is yeah. that your answer? No. I would say probably Isaiah 63. What's that? That talks about how the Spirit acted to deliver the Israelites from, out of the Exodus from mm-hmm. the Egyptians. And it says that they went on to grieve the Holy Spirit, which is the same language that's used in the New Testament to Christians about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. T.A., do you have a favorite place that the Holy Spirit appears in the, New, in the Old Testament? No. Okay. I haven't thought about it. Okay. Honestly, I I um I love the life of David. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite Old Testament figure. 
And I love that at his anointing, the spirit comes upon him or rushes upon him, which is just a demonstration of God's favor upon his life. So I think about this teenage boy, mm-hmm. probably about 15 years old, and the spirit of God is coming upon him. And everything that results from that is that you have this young teenage kid who ends up being full of this character and integrity and humility. I think that that's amazing. So if I had to pick that's place, it. That's your pick. I'd go with that right now. All right. My final question is, I think that sometimes there can be confusion. We talked a little bit about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically about the gift of speaking in tongues. And some believe that you must have the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of the Holy Spirit, in order to be saved. I've heard that. Have y'all heard that? Yeah. What would you say to the answer to that? It's It's a pretty specific question, but I think it's important to answer. Yeah. I mean, I dealt with this. I was in a college ministry for for about almost a decade. And I distinctly remember uh, these two girls coming up to me uh, after a service and just saying, hey, look, we're going to a ministry right now that is telling us that we have to, uh, we have to speak in tongues mm-hmm. to truly be saved. And that was so concerning for me because when you when you read the scriptures, when when you look back at Genesis uh, fifteen six, where you see that it was it was faith that counted Abraham as righteousness, that's what you see from the beginning of the scriptures, and that is what is carried out through all of the scriptures. So for me, when I look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts is where you see the the work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the movement of the Spirit through the life of the first century church. And uh, I love the story uh, in Acts chapter 16 where you have uh, this jailer that, you know, it, the the Spirit does this miraculous work and uh, Paul and Silas are in prison. And this jailer is moved through all of this supernatural activity and he asks this question, what must I do? Do to be saved. That's Acts 16:30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, it's so clear. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. Mm-hmm. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And what you don't see is, is an expectation that you will then speak in tongues, mm-hmm. even though this verse is found in the same book of the Bible where you see speaking in tongues show up, mm-hmm. which is Acts chapter 2, where where the Spirit empowers uh, the apostles to speak in various languages so that other people can understand the gospel. Mm-hmm. What would you add, Oren? Yeah, I would just say 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, uh, in, in giving spiritual gifts, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the implied answer is no, not everyone has every gift, but but everyone has a gift to serve the body. Awesome. All right, we've covered a lot. Any final thoughts on the Holy Spirit before we wrap up? No. Great. Covered it all? I don't know if we covered it all. I, yeah. We covered a lot. <laughs> that was such a letdown right. of an answer. I know. But listen, <laughs> we're like, going to uh, He's awesome. And then, you, yeah. should, you should get him. No, I will Great. Listen, I think we're going to end on that note. It feels appropriate. Uh, well, thank y'all for joining us for another episode of the Watermark Equipping Podcast. We will see you next time. <laughs>